0: Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. And then Steve and Tina are going to read our passage this morning. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you. Father, we thank you for the beautiful imagery the psalmist creates for us. And Jesus, for so many of us, this imagery is reframed because you arrived on the scene and placed yourself in the middle of this portrait. You placed yourself in this poem saying that you are the good shepherd who would even be willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And so today we pray, Jesus, that we would not just see ourselves, that Jesus, today that we would see you, our good shepherd, in this beautiful poem that we find in scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, do you see when you read this, the vulnerable state that we find ourselves in, if, in fact, we are like sheep. In fact, it's something we've talked about each week in this series, something that many of us probably resent or, at the very least, don't care for very much. And maybe some of you would even say, well, I've come each week and I've just determined I don't even need a shepherd to provide for me or to protect me. This isn't me, maybe other people, but I'm not like those people. Well, then answer me this. Does this comfort you if we remove the idea of a shepherd providing these things and reframe this as you being someone who doesn't need a shepherd? You are, in a sense, your own shepherd. You see, the psalmist, he would have written it like this. He would have said, I am my own good shepherd, and I'm not in want of anything or anyone. I am the source of my rest. I lead myself to where I feel satisfied. I restore my own soul. I leave myself in paths of righteousness for my own name and fame, and even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing because I've got this, and I will dwell in my own house forever and ever and ever. Now, how comforting is that if that's you without a shepherd? If you're determined, I'm not like these other people, well, there's not much comfort in it, is there? I mean, do you see the vulnerable place we find ourselves in if, in fact, we are like sheep? And if we're honest, this is a bit of a terrifying thought because power over the vulnerable is often exploited. And that's the imagery that we have here, is a shepherd in power in sheep who are vulnerable. Our minds can go in history to Hitler or Stalin. It can go to Kim Jong-un in North Korea. It can go even towards Putin in Russia. You probably have seen in the last couple of weeks some of the storylines that have come out from the war in Ukraine, where there's Russian civilian soldiers who are now posting videos to the internet trying to solicit sympathy, and it's them on the front lines as people who were civilians enlisted saying that they weren't sent with food or even ammunition, and with no game plan at all. There are stories even that surface that are unconfirmed, I know, but stories of them even releasing Russian prisoners and the ones who are sick and HIV positive or with hepatitis, then putting armbands on them, assuming you already have a death sentence, so we're sending you to the front lines to fight this war. That's what we think of when we think of a vulnerable person in the hands of someone with unchecked, unrestrained power. We picture the sad story that came out of China, a communist country this week, where there was an apartment building that caught fire, and many people burned inside of it because their doors were locked from the outside, because the governments had created another lockdown scenario because of COVID and didn't allow their people to leave the building. We look at things like that and we think, well, this is tragic. So we're jumpy when it comes to us being vulnerable and someone else having unrestrained, unchecked, infinite, ultimate power. And yet John chapter 10, he calls people, Jesus does, who exploit situations like that. He calls them hirelings that merely come to exploit sheep. And then Jesus contrasts himself with them, saying that I am the good shepherd, though, who lays down his life for his sheep. I mean, don't you see the vulnerable state we find ourselves in if it is in fact true that I am like a sheep? Oh, but look in scripture how God reveals himself to his people, even through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, this is what God begins to say of himself. And again, he's the one in power and I am the vulnerable one. But he says, O Zion, who brought you good tidings? Get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, who brings you good tidings? Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. He's telling his people, look towards me. Look towards your God. Now, what did they see when they looked that direction? Verse 10, it says in Isaiah chapter 40, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Look towards your God, and what you see is infinite power that he's ruling for his people. Behold, he said, his reward is with him and his work before him. But look at what he will do with that power. Verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Do you see that when God talks about him in a situation of being the one in power with those who are vulnerable, he expresses the heart, the gentle heart of a shepherd again and again through scripture. And this is why David is boasting. He begins not with the muttered, the muttered words off of a wounded man's lips who's saying that the Lord, he's my shepherd. No, this is the boast of a man whose confidence that he has a good God who stands with him and for him. And that is why he brags and boasts and says, oh, the Lord, he is my shepherd. And as we've talked through this, we've agreed that if you want to know if the Lord is truly your shepherd, well, then you have to ask the question, are you able to echo David's sentiment and statement when he then says, because that's true in my life, he said, I shall not want. And You remember that, that for us, our ability to echo David's statement is not rooted in the ease of our life nor the amount of wealth or security that we find It has everything to do with our trust in the quality of his care and in his ability to lead and care for us, which is what we talked about last time, his ability to lead us. But this morning, we wrap up our series by one final time looking at this story, this little poem that David writes, talking about how our shepherd also promises to protect us. Again, if you look in your Bible, this is how the psalmist would say it. He says, yea, though I walk even through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We'll talk about how our shepherd protects us. You know, it's interesting, Psalm 23 is quite possibly the most well-known and most popular passage in all of the Old Testament, which I'll tell you can feel a bit puzzling when you consider that there are so many other psalms that tell us about God giving us rest. There's so, other, so many other Psalms that tell us about God providing for those that he loves, about him re- restoring and refreshing them, about the protection that he promises to them. But what I found, and you probably have too, is that we need hope both for living and undoubtedly we need it also for dying. In Psalm 23, it speaks to both of those things, hope in life and hope even in death. It's the sheep blogger himself, David, who pens this, who would say from his deathbed in 1 Kings chapter 2, he says, I go the way of all flesh, as he passed from this life into the next. It's Solomon, his son, who picked up on this and echoed the same in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. It's the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 who said it's appointed for all men once to die, and after that to face judgment. And there's a promise in Psalm 23 that our shepherd will protect us even in the darkest of all valleys that we'll have to walk through. And the darkest of all valleys is the of all valleys is the, the valley of death itself. Now, if we're talking about our shepherd protecting us, there's three questions I want to ask and answer with you very quickly this morning about our shepherd's protection, and the first is this. It's, do I even need it? Do I even need his protection? It's a great question that you need to think through. You see, the psalmist David is here insinuating that you and I face dangers and predators that we need protection from. It wasn't long ago I came across a very surprising headline. It was so good that I actually bookmarked and saved it, and I was very thankful that I remembered it this week. Because of just how shocking it was. But the headline read from the British newspaper, The Telegraph, and I quote, flock of sheep bursts into flames. The story took place in the middle of uh, the Middle Eastern country of Jordan. And here's what the newspaper reported. It says, the explosion of an underground methane gas leak in a remote area of northern Jordan sparked rumors of an impending volcanic eruption causing panic across the desert kingdom. A shepherd saw his flock burn and completely disappear after he let them wander into a rocky depression in search of grass. Government experts dispatched to the region said that the underground fire erupted when some local residents set fire to dry grass in the vicinity, and that as the spark spread, it ignited the methane gas that was there in that depression, leaving the sheep burned unfortunately to a crisp now apparently sheep have far more to fear than we'd ever imagined until i read that little news blurb that they need far more protection than i ever would have guessed in fact the dangers a sheep needs protection from fit into one of two categories here they are the two categories of the protection that they need well they have dangers from predators but they also sheep are a danger to themselves well the first one predators they need protection from predators the problem for sheep is twofold in this respect. The first is that they have a long list of predators that, that give them great reason to fear. But the second thing is that sheep have no means of personal defense. They are completely dependent upon their shepherd to protect them. Oh, but what a comfort to these little helpless animals the presence and care of their shepherd provides. You see, when under attack, sheep will either stick with the herd or sprint off in fear all alone. And I was thinking this week when I was a kid, probably still in grade school, my parents took a trip and were away for a week, and so they sent us to stay with some of our family friends that lived out in the country on the East Coast, far from the city. And that family, they had had chickens and goats and they had sheep. And this is really my only time in my life where I was in close proximity with some sheep, In fact, my older brother and I kind of exploited this opportunity by every afternoon jumping over the fence to get back into the sheep pen, and then we would quickly try to jump on top of the sheep, hold on to their wool, and go for a quick ride on top of the sheep. But by day like three or four, the sheep got wise to it, and so as soon as we would approach the fence, the sheep would all run off together, and we realized it was the end of the backyard rodeo show. And so we had the genius idea that Casey who was the smallest and cutest of all of the O'Keeffe boys with his winsome smile and bowl cut back in the 90s, (laughs) Casey made a a perfect rodeo clown at just six years of age, and so we lowered him over the fence and backed away, and all the sheep began to come near until he, this very non-intimidating force, was spotted by what was probably the largest mother of all of the sheep there in the sheepfold, who sprinted at him and put her head down, and as he ran moving his little legs as fast as he could back towards the fence for us to try to lift him out, about the time we got him up in the air, the sheep connected with his backside and sent him flying over the fence line. Even Casey, unfortunately, well, apparently he wouldn't make the list of their predators that they needed to fear. (laughs) You know, sheep, though, aren't known for ferocious, intense behavior. There's nothing intimidating about them. In fact, it's why you will never find a sports team, a professional one, at least, that's named the sheep or the lambs. My daughter, I coached her softball team this year. Declan is five years old. And when they asked, you know, let's pick an intimidating name for our team, all the suggestions that came were wonderful from a bunch of five-year-old girls. They landed on the name the Sprinkle Donuts in order to exude some intimidation. We... We played teams like the brown chocolate chips and the yellow sunflowers and the red unicorns. But there's a reason why, although sheep maybe, in a five-year-old's mind, make a great mascot and intimidating to their foes, there's a reason why professional sports teams wouldn't claim it for themselves. And that's because sheep have no real means of aggression. They can try to headbutt you, or their only other option is to run the other way. They've got nothing else for them. And predators is what they need protection from. And seemingly, everyone and everything is a threat to them. It's not just that they need protection, though, from predators. Sheep need protection even from themselves. Because sheep are not the brightest animals on the farm, they can quickly become a danger to themselves. Speaking of them not being the brightest, you might have even seen the headlines in the last week that came out of China about a flock of sheep that for 12 days roamed around in a perfect circle, you might have seen it, it made the news because people started speculating, what's causing this behavior to happen, some even speculating there must be an invisible UFO there in the middle of the circle that they're encircling around it until someone who has a PhD in livestock, behavioral, whatever, looked at it and was like, no, these sheep are so used to living in a small pen and just walking in the perfect circle of that pen. That the sheep, even when all of those boundaries are removed, are not smart enough to realize that there's a whole new world available to them. And they just, for days, walked in a circle in an orderly fashion, following one after another. They're not the brightest, but they're also a danger to themselves. Because sheep can quickly wander off determined to find their own green pastures and find themselves lost and alone and dying of hunger. They can also foolishly eat or drink things that will poison themselves, or when off the trail, they quickly will lose their balance and become cast, and because they don't have a side-facing limb to push themselves back upright, they're stuck upside down with their little legs kicking up in the air. It's great for a woolly rug. It's very bad for a sheep, though, because they die by death, by suffocation, all that blubber and weight pressing on their internal organs." You see, sheep are in danger to themselves. And I'll just tell you the truth. This is how I feel as a parent sometimes. That there are dangers around my kids, so we lock our doors. We have an alarm system at our home. Uh, we, we built a fence around the front yard. We've done those things because of the dangers outside of them, But since having a son, I've realized that children are also a danger to themselves. In fact, my son Keegan, sometimes my wife and I will comment that we think that he's more a danger to himself than the world is to him. He just never, ever stops moving. I mean, he barely learned to walk and he would run and jump from couch to couch. And and we would just watch it going as he's playing the floor is lava, like this is not going to end well. Remember, just as a little guy, we, we heard him yelling from his back bedroom and found him in the top of his closet about six feet off the ground in a shelf with a bunch of his toys stacked up beneath him that it all fallen over once he climbed the great Tower of Babel or whatever into the top of the closet. And now he's stuck yelling for help. It's, it was him as soon as we got him a scooter who decided he was going to play chicken with the neighbors when they came home from work by riding it out into the middle of the street. We realized very quickly that my job as a parent would be to protect myself from Keegan. When just an infant, he headbutted me and cracked a molar. It would also be to protect Keegan from himself, from his own madness. And it wasn't long ago that Keegan came in from our backyard crying and bleeding from his mouth because of the death blow he received in a lightsaber battle that nearly knocked his teeth out. Now, the, the crazy plot twist is that Keegan was playing alone and we only own one lightsaber. Battle. <laughs> this is what it's like to raise a boy. And was it this year or was it last year that Keegan sneezed while sitting at the counter? He sneezed so violently, I'm looking at my wife, was it this year or last year? He's done it more than once. He sneezed so violently that he hit his head on the counter, and I swear the kid was seeing scars because he couldn't look us square in the eye afterwards, right? Even you sneezing is dangerous for you. Sheep are in danger or in danger, not just because of predators, but because of themselves. Let me just suggest you that the psalmist here is drawing a parallel between us and sheep. Because we, like sheep, we do have an enemy outside of ourselves. I mean, listen to the, what the New Testament tells us about your enemy. This is what First Peter chapter 5 says. Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. For our enemy, when his rebellion failed in heaven, he brought the rebellion down here to earth, and now he's like a kid at a pool party who's getting pushed into the deep end, and at some point you stop fighting against other people, and when you realize you're going down, your whole plan shifts, and now it's I'm taking as many of you down with me as I can. He's a defeated enemy who knows that his days are numbered and wants to hurt God by hurting those that God loves and made in his own image. He's trying to destroy the lives of people and, and to set a course for their eternal destination to be separated from God. Oh, I'm in need of my good shepherd's protection. Yes, from an enemy who wants to destroy me, but also I'm in need of my good shepherd's protection from myself. You see, Jesus doesn't just save me from sin and Satan. He saves me from myself. From my sinful and selfish and self-destructive patterns and decisions. I'll tell you, this is probably my most common prayer. And my own heart is often just saying, Jesus, save me from me. I need to be saved. I need to be changed. Jesus, I need to be rescued from my own brokenness. You see, you and I need protection from ourselves because of our tendency to make selfish and self-destructive decisions, and what they do is they leave in our wake a long line of others that we've hurt along with ourselves. I did youth ministry for a long, long time, and I came to see over time that the difference between a youth and an adult, or a child and an adult, is not that one has parameters or boundaries set around them and that the other does not. The difference is that one needs someone else to set those boundaries and parameters for them, and the other person does it for themselves. I'm an adult. That doesn't mean I have freedom from boundaries or parameters. I just don't need someone else to tell me that I need to go to sleep on time. I don't need someone else to tell me to eat more than just ice cream. I don't even need someone else to tell me to put filtering, uh, content filtering on my home internet. I don't need someone else in authority outside of me to do those things. I'm an adult. I'm willing to set those boundaries for myself. But the difference between a child and an adult is not the absence of boundaries. It's that we no longer are meant to need someone else to step in and give them. But we have to recognize the sobering reality that we still need them because we need protection from ourselves. See, the psalmist David is insinuating that there are dangers and predators that I need protection from. And maybe you're choking on that same. but do I even need it? And I'd say, absolutely, you and I both do. But how? Here's the second thing. But how does he protect me? Oh, do I need his protection? No, here's the second thing. How does he protect me? Well, the psalmist David, as he writes this, he mentions three things. He mentions that he'll use his rod, he'll use his staff, and he gives you the gift of his presence. His rod, his staff, his presence. That first one, in verse 4, he says, Your rod, it comforts me. A rod to a shepherd was like a six-shooter was to a cowboy. It's a two-foot-long little cub, little club. It's, it's like the baseball bat that's under my bed. It's maybe like a golfer's club who goes to try out a club and, and looking for the one that feels the the, the, the most and the best balanced. <laughs> As they swing, they're looking for that perfect fit in the same way a shepherd would do that with the rod. He'd craft his own specialized custom rod that he wanted to be the right weight and the right length. He, you might swing it like a club or you might even throw it at a predator. You might want it to have a root or a branch at the bottom of it to function as a handle. You might even holster it like a weapon on your side. You see, the rod was used to beat back enemies but it was also used in moments to discipline wayward sheep. Sheep who were wandering off and eating or drinking things that would make them sick. And the reason he disciplined the sheep in those moments is to build an association of pain with that destructive decision. A shepherd might even go so far as to break the legs of a wayward sheep with his rod, so that while the legs of that sheep would heal, he'd place the shepherd would he'd carry the sheep on his back, so that the sheep would both become familiar with his voice and begin to trust his leadership. It's beautiful imagery, and the truth is, for a lot of us, we probably have had seasons of life that have felt a lot like that. That feel like we had our legs broken out from underneath us, but found that we grew in affection for our shepherd's voice and became so familiar with his voice because he drew near in those painful seasons. You see, if you're a shepherd, you discipline your sheep, not just because you're angry. You discipline them because you love them. It's what the writer of Hebrews will say in chapter 12, verse 6, where he says that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And this is David here saying, God, I'm comforted by the way that you protect me, even from me. He's comforted by the reality that God was willing to discipline him to bring consequences because those consequences would keep him from greater pain. I mean, I reminded my kids just this week in a conversation. I reminded them that although you might hate the discipline that mom and I bring in your life, I told them, just remember what we call people who do whatever they want, whenever they want, regardless of what any authority figure might tell them. I told them, we call them prisoners. That is why mom and I step in to bring consequences in your life, because we love you and want to save you from greater pain. We'll discipline you because we want what's best for you in the long run. And hey, I would say even for us as adults, we'd be wise to remember the Lord disciplines those that he loves. It's proof that you're one of his sheep, that you're one of his children. And remember, it's really proof of his love and his care for you. Shepherd, he's here saying, or the psalmist, excuse me, is saying of a shepherd, your rod, it comforts me. But there's the second thing he mentions, your staff, it comforts me. A staff was typically a long branch with a hook on the end of it. Something a shepherd always had beside him, something that was always with him. In fact, you would know a shepherd by the presence of the shepherd's staff with them. The staff was there for protection and for the comfort of their sheep. You see, a shepherd could use it just as a simple walking stick, and then he could turn it over so that the hook was on the base of it to lift a little baby sheep from a depression in the ground, to lift one out of pits or holes or away from danger or even from angry full-grown sheep. Or when a sheep had become cast, you remember with its legs upright, stuck there, he could use it to lift the little sheep back onto its feet to rescue it from its helpless state. But the shepherd would also use that staff to gently reach out and guide the sheep, to reach behind him to the sheep that he was leading, to gently guide him in them in the right direction. To reach out and and, and lead wandering sheep who were leaving the herd. He could reach out with his staff and gently try to redirect them. Or one shepherd that I read, he talked about how if my sheep were jumpy or spooked in a moment that I could lean my staff against their side, and it was like an extension of my own body that would bring them comfort that they needed to calm them and keep them from bolting off away in fear. Remember, sheep have no means of personal defense. They're completely dependent upon their shepherd to protect them. But what a comfort to see these little helpless animals, to have them see the presence and care of their shepherd. See that he was there with them. I mean, make no mistake, the psalmist does not say that you will feel no evil. That's not what he says here, is it? When he's talking about your rod and your staff, they comfort me, he doesn't say you won't feel evil, but he is very clear in saying you need not to fear any evil. My friends, this is not some shallow statement made from some ivory tower that's disconnected from the human experience. This is being said, the statement is made by someone who had suffered an awful lot. Who, yes, had heard the promise of God, but then was basically in a holding pattern for years, waiting for the fulfillment of that promise, anointed king, but waited to be crowned king, and during that time lived on the run. He's hiding out not just from a man, but the king himself and an army with him. He had much that he felt that was evil, that he lived with. It was him even later in his life, where his own household is is bursting and breaking at the seams. One of his own children turning against him and ended up losing his life, and David feeling the weight and reality of all that has happened in his life. Yes, it's, it's not here someone who had never felt evil or brokenness or pain, but he's saying that he'd learned he didn't need to fear it. You see, this is not some shallow statement from David, and neither is this a shallow sentiment for you or I. You know, I was thinking this week about this, the idea of, of not fearing evil and passing even through the valley of the shadow of death. And I was thinking back to when Lindsay and I were newlyweds. Lindsay had had a, a gnarly health scare where she'd lost her vision temporarily, and it it created a very long process of lots and lots of tests and many doctor's appointments and monitoring systems and MRIs and scans and and concerns about things that were very scary to hear doctors talk to us about, like brain tumors and cancers. And here we're newlyweds, and I can remember laying awake at night and, and thinking through the reality that it might be that the news we get means that I'm burying my wife But I'm also burying all of my hopes and the dreams that we had together with her. I can remember what it was like to lay awake and feel the the presence and reality of what could happen. And of what felt so evil and so broken and so overwhelming. And I remember being so very afraid. David's saying at some point in time it's possible to have an absence of fear even in those dark and, and overwhelming moments. It's something that so many of you have experienced personally where you walk through those dark valleys, and yet you find yourself in confidence in your shepherd. There's a pastor in Great Britain in 19, or I'm sorry, 1845 named John Stevenson who published a book on Psalm 23 entitled The Lord, Our Shepherd, and here's what he said about this. He said, When the sheep are frightened, some of them instinctively turn to retreat, while others press close to their shepherd. And in proportion to their confidence... Which each places in his protection, so is the treasure of their deliverance from fear. The proportion of their faith in his protection was the proportion of the experience of the deliverance of fear, the deliverance from their fear. And I'll be the first to tell you, it's a scary realization in life when you realize you're not in control. When you realize that things are outside of your control, it's humbling and it's frightening. But the greatest news you can hear in moments like that is that you have a God who isn't like you, who doesn't share in those limitations. And you see, the psalmist here is saying that you and I should be so comforted, not just by his rod or his staff, but by our shepherd's presence with us. This is exactly what David is communicating, that the shepherd was present with him, and that's what could cause an absence of fear from him. Because he doesn't just mention his rod and his staff as sources of comfort for him. He mentions God's presence with him was the true source of that comfort. Not merely a rod and a staff that, where they're sitting on the ground next to him. It was that they were securely found in the hands of his loving good shepherd. You see, our third question that needs to be answered is what is the proof, though, of his protection? Yes, do I need it? And how will he do it? Our real question is, what's the proof, though, of his protection? How do I really know that he'll make good on his promise? Well, the proof of his protection is his presence with you, and it's his willingness to embrace death for you. See, the greatest gift that God has given any one of us today is the gift of his presence. Jesus, when he was here, he would make it very clear that he'd no longer be walking beside us, but that he would send us another helper. It's another of the same kind. And he said, the Holy Spirit, he has been with you, but he will be in you. Jesus promised that you and I would have the presence of God not with us only, but dwelling inside of us. And on a cross, Jesus, with his arms outstretched, would ask the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that you could hear the promise that I'll never leave you nor forsake you? I mean, read the passage again with me and look at what he says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, yea, or yes, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod, your staff that comfort me. Oh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely the goodness, the mercy of God shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in his house forever. Yes, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I love this. Think it through. The Lord, He leads us, He's saying, in paths of righteousness. That they're the right paths, even when they look like the wrong ones. They're the right paths, even when they're dark or they're difficult. He knows where He's going is David's confidence. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yes, that is true even when the route run through, runs through a canyon or a valley, through a dark and ominous stretch. Even then, he leads me and he's with me. In fact, did you notice the subtle change? It's significant, the change that occurs in verse 4. There's a change in pronouns. The seemingly impersonal he, that he leads me, In verses 2 and 3, all of a sudden is much more intimate in saying that you, look in verse 4, that you, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. The psalmist begins to display this intimate discourse of deep affection. It's then wisely said that God goes before us when the path is smooth, but he stands beside us when the way is dangerous and frightening. And the grand secret of the psalmist's peace was his confidence that his good shepherd was with him, that he stood by his side. Do you have that kind of confidence in your good shepherd? That kind of confidence in the presence of God, in the nearness of God, in the commitment of God to you. Oh, because it's true that it it is his presence with us that will dispel all of our fears. Philip Keller, the shepherd turned pastor and author, he said it this way. He said, in time I came to realize as a shepherd that nothing so quieted and reassured my sheep as to see me there with them in the field. The presence of their shepherd and owner and protector put them at ease like nothing else could. Oh, remember the presence of your good shepherd. Even when passing through the valley of the shadow of death, These narrow valleys, and and you're meant to picture these ravines where you can't see what's lurking in the shadows around the next bend or corner. The psalmist is saying that that he will lead the way, not just pushing you forward into unseen danger. And the reality is we know the storyline of the Bible. We know that it's not just that he will lead the way, but we know that he has led the way through the valley of death, embracing death for us. You see, a good shepherd would never take his sheep somewhere that he had not first passed through before them. He would always go first, go ahead to be certain that the path before them would be clear. And so that means that we don't face the valley of death. He faced that for us. The psalmist was right when he said we simply walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I love how Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, this is where Jesus in John 10 stands up and says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. You see, the beauty is that Christ drank deep, we could say, of the substance of death so that we merely face the shadow of death. I mean, think that through, the difference between substance and shadow. If I gave you the option today, would you rather walk out front and get hit by a truck or would you rather have the shadow of the truck pass over you as you stood on the sidewalk? It's an easy decision, right? All of us know what we choose because we understand that nobody is afraid of a shadow. Because just as the shadow of a dog can't bite me and a shadow of a gun can't harm me, the shadow of death will never, ever destroy me. The beauty is that for a shadow to be present, it tells me with certainty that there's light somewhere on the other side. You see, my dear friends, if, if we are sheep in his fold... Then what this is telling us is that we need not fear even death itself, nor any other thing that this life may throw at us along our pathway towards eternity. Because although we are never promised that there will be no evil, we are assured that we near not, need not to fear any evil, because he, our good shepherd, will always be with us. Again, quoting from one of Paul's letters, he writes in the book of Romans chapter 8, He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? We have trouble or calamity, or if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. He writes, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, and separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's beautiful. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he wrote a lot about Psalm 23. I'll just give you a little snippet of what he says about this part of what the psalmist writes. He said, observe that it is not walking in the valley, but through the valley. We go through the dark tunnel of death and emerge into the light of immortality. We do not die. We do but sleep to wake in glory. Death is not the house, but the porch. Not the goal, but the passage to it. Death is not the house, but the porch. Not the goal, but the passage to it. Death is not the end for the Christian. It is merely the pathway to... Verse 6 tells you the house of the Lord where we will dwell forever and ever. You see, death is not a destination. It's merely a passageway for you into what Jesus has prepared for you. Just as it was for Jesus, who would emerge from the grave alive again, being a first sign. Remember, Paul would say, he is the first fruits of all who will rise. The idea is in the springtime when you see the first buds coming after the, the death of winter. The first buds and blossoms are not just a sign of life, but they're proof of more to come. That it's not the only thing that will bud and blossom in the spring. It's just the first fruits. It's just the first sign of life. And that is what Jesus was for us when he rose from the dead, showing us life after death. In fact, in John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives lives. In me and believes in me will never, ever die. It's been wisely said that the hope of the gospel, it is our antidote to fear and even our antidote to grief. Because death is no longer the enemy of the Christian, a wasted life is. If you're a follower of Jesus, death is no longer your enemy, a wasted life is. Again, quoting the 19th century British pastor and author John Stevenson, he said, walk with thy God through life, and thou shalt find that you fear no evil in thy death. We need to wrap this up. You know, these are the perks and the promises made available only to those who have him as their good shepherd. Roger Ellsworth, the commentator, he says, if we are to have the same peace about death that David did, then we must have the same shepherd that David did. And that shepherd promises that you will make it through every dark valley and be sure of this, he will undoubtedly lead you places that you might not have ever wanted to go. Because the path will be very difficult in moments. And you'll perceive it as overwhelming and frightening. But can I remind you that he never leads us down dead end streets. He doesn't take you places that don't lead anywhere. He, He doesn't take you through journeys that lack any purpose. No, every place he chooses to lead me through has value and meaning and purpose. Which means, for me personally, I should not despise the dark valleys of life. Because I have a good shepherd who promises to lead me through those difficult places and to take me to places of rest and refreshment. There's an encouragement here not to despise the difficult paths in life because they may very well lead to the places of greatest refreshment in life. And I'll just tell you, in my own life, in my own suffering, my grief has never taken me anywhere God could not take me through. There have been stretches of time where I thought that it wasn't possible. I've told you before about a gnarly season of depression that I thought I'd never emerge on the other side of, but my grief has never taken me anywhere that my good shepherd could not take me through. See, the scriptures are true that he leads us through the valley, even of the shadow of death. But I've also learned, as so many of you have learned too. That our good shepherd doesn't just lead us through those, but he meets us in those dark valleys. See, none of us want to traverse through dark valleys in life, but all of us will find ourselves in them. And for many of us, we've already begun to realize that in those dark and hard places and seasons, we found Jesus with us in those dark places. We've heard the voice of our good shepherd, the loudest in those dark places. We discovered in those hard valleys that the deepest waters of refreshment were found there, like waters that gathered after pouring down the mountainside to collect in the basin of a deep valley. There's a depth of refreshment that's really only experienced by those who found themselves in the depths of a dark valley. Oh, don't despise The valley, my friends, it's often the place where God does his deepest work. Remember, this is David boasting of the fact, the Lord is my shepherd. This is who is attentive to my needs. This is who is responsible for my care. Oh, the Lord, he is my shepherd. For David to say it, David is not saying, I have a great shepherd. David is saying, a great shepherd has me. For him to be my shepherd, it does not make him my possession. It means that I am his possession. And the beauty is that it was God who made himself David's shepherd. It was not David who secured this honor for himself. And that, my friends, is this little snapshot of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus, our good shepherd, would come to do all that was needed to rescue us and to make us his own. He didn't look at us and say, oh, secure the great honor for yourself, secure the great privilege for yourself of being under my attentive and watchful eye and my loving leadership and protection in your life. He didn't ask that. Instead, he would do all that was needed on our behalf by going to a cross. Oh, will you join with the psalmist in boasting of the fact that the Lord, he is my good shepherd. You know, Jesus would come and he would redefine lost in Luke's gospel. Where he began to paint some imagery because of people who had come and complain. Jesus, why do you hang out with those kinds of people? These people haven't earned God's favor. These are the sinners in culture. They're the people who gave up even on trying to earn favor with God or to follow a religious system. And when people took exception with Jesus' love and care for these people, he told them this story to redefine loss. He told them about a woman who had lost a coin and was up all night burning the oil of her lamp looking for that lost coin. And it's bad economics to waste a bunch of money in order to find a single coin. She could have waited with, with less intensity, just waited till morning and looked when the, when the light would have been free. There was such an urgency because what is lost needs to be found. It's Jesus then launching into another story about a shepherd who had 99 sheep and who would leave, the, or had 100 sheep, and one, when he came back to count them, he only counts 99, realizing one had wandered off, and he leaves the 99, risking great loss, and in order to pursue the one who is out on the hillside alone. Jesus is redefining lost as something that's valuable, not, not just a wasted potential, but something that he loved, someone that he cared for, something that he was willing to risk so very much for. And then he paints a portrait with a third story of a man who had two sons. And the younger of the two said, I I just want all that you could give me, Father, and I want to take all of that inheritance and go live my own life, and you know the story, he went out and squandered all of it. And then he began the long journey home to see if his father would even allow him to come back to earn his place just as a hired servant. And that was the self-talk, you remember, that's the dialogue that he's rehearsing on that long journey home. Father, I only ask to be your servant, not to be your son. And I'll earn what I need to pay it back. I'll work so hard to make it right. But you remember that the son wasn't truly home until the voice of the father was louder than his own. Because even in the father's presence, he was still making the same excuses. Oh, I could never be a son again. But I'm willing to be a servant and I'll work so hard. But then the father shushed him and said, it'll never be this way. And he embraced him and covered him and kissed him and celebrated him. Because the gospel is only experienced when the voice of the Father is louder than your own. If you're a sheep that's wondered and you're saying, oh, I'll come back to him once I've worked hard enough, once I've earned enough, then I'll approach him and say, haven't I done enough? The gospel says that... The voice of the Father has to be louder than your own because you could never do enough and he's not asking or requiring that you do it because he's providing the covering for you. And it was more than just a robe that he placed around my shoulders. It was Christ going to a cross, saying, I'll take everything that's wrong and broken about Trevor, and I'll pay for it. And you can give everything that's right about me and reward Trevor for it. He would become punished as a criminal so that I could share the inheritance of a son and a co-heir with him. That, my friends, is the gospel. This, my friends, is this mini portrait of the gift we have in having a good shepherd. And this is a gift that's available to you. Oh, and and the benefit and the byproduct of it is only experienced, though, by those who can claim that he is my good shepherd, who have turned to him and said, then, Father, I need forgiveness. Father, I need rescuing, even from myself, my sin, yes, and my brokenness. I need to be rescued and saved. I need you to do what's needed to be done on a cross for me to be found now under your watchful eye and care. So Father, we thank you that you did that for us, that you would provide all that was needed for us to belong, for us to no longer be counted as the enemies of God, but the sons of God. Jesus, we're thankful that you, the good shepherd, you laid your life down for the sheep. We couldn't be certain of our value to you if we were simply a gift. But we as your sheep were something you purchased with your precious blood. And so Jesus, we finish by thanking you. The one who does lead us, who does protect us, who does promise that your goodness and mercy will always be present in our lives through every valley. Jesus, we look your direction to say thank you. We look your direction to boast as well and to say, The oh Lord, you, my good shepherd, are attentive to me. Jesus, we thank you that we are the sheep of your pasture. And that we have a good shepherd who cares for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.